This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll be going there in a few minutes. We're in the series Process and Experience. It's part four today. You'll want to go back and listen on the podcast to some of the other messages as these messages do build upon one another. But the premise is simple. We need both. We need to be people of process and we need to be people of experience. And here is a statement that kind of guides where we're going in this series. And we've read this statement every week, but we'll look at it again right now. We are people of process open to God experiences. So we're people who are disciplined in our devotional life and our church attendance or participation. Uh, but at the same time, we're open to God doing something in our lives. What do I mean by experience? I mean his presence. It could be uh, just a great sense of God's presence in our life. It could be a healing if we have a disease and we're physically sick and we get healed of that disease. It could be a miracle, something we know that has to be God. But we're people of process open to God experiences. I had a friend of mine who attended a church that did not believe God moved through experience anymore. This church, like, like a lot of churches, uh, believed that when the last apostle died, there were no more experiences. But he started reading his Bible at the encouragement of his pastor. And as he read the Bible, he read about all the things Jesus did. All the experiences Jesus brought to people. And how when Jesus went up to heaven and the Holy Spirit came down, it did not stop. Miracles still occurred. God's presence was still tangible and among the people. And so he went to his pastor and he said, pastor, does this still happen today? And the pastor responded, no, it doesn't. He asked, well, why not? And the pastor said, I'm not quite sure, but give me a week and I'll come back with the answer. Well, after a week passed, the pastor never contacted my friend again, because here is the truth. It takes a lot of hard work to try to prove biblically that God doesn't move experientially anymore. Now, some have tried to do it, but it takes just a lot of work. I understand that biblical interpretation um, is complicated at times, but I think that we are best when we simply read the scripture and believe what God says. Do you not agree? That's not the best way to live our life. Read the scripture and believe what God says. And when you read the scripture without cultural bias, it's really hard to conclude that God doesn't move experientially anymore. It's really hard to conclude that biblically. And many of us have a lot of, of personal stories, either things that have happened to us or things that we have heard from others that prove to us in our own experience that God does move and God does do works among us now. Our faith is more than just like an intellectual agreement. The intellect is an important part of who we are, but our faith cannot be reduced to simply just mentally agreeing to something. It also means that we have an openness for the miraculous and we're open to God moving miraculously. And that's what I want to do today. I just want you to leave here just with more of an open heart to that. I'm gonna teach and we're gonna end with prayer. And I, I just want the scripture to feed you today. We're gonna to look at a lot of scripture and just let the truth of the scripture just feed us today and to just open our hearts to what God has. 
Here's the first thing I want you to write down. If you're taking notes, we have the review that we passed out and there's a chance for you to fill in the blanks to kind of keep you engaged or you can find this also uh, on you version. Here's the first thing I want you to write in. God experiences characterize the New Testament church. God experiences characterize the New Testament church. If you begin to read the Bible, and I encourage you to do so, read the Bible and draw conclusions for yourself. When you do that, you'll see that God is moving experientially through his people all through the New Testament. He does in the Old Testament also, but no doubt when Jesus came, the covenant became different. When the Holy Spirit came, it was not just limited to uh, the prophets or just the priests. It was for all. Now, Luke chapter 10, this is in the gospels. This is the story of Jesus. We see this story, Luke chapter 10, verse one. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Now, I wanted to make note of something here. Uh, the apostles were the 12 and Paul. So you see right here that this commissioning goes way beyond just 12 men. 12 kind of elite people. It's the 70 others. This is Jesus. And he, Jesus, sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. Chapter 10 tells the story. But as Jesus was giving instructions, look at verse nine. He says this. Jesus says these words, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God one of the signs, not the only sign, but one of the signs of the kingdom of God was healing or the experiential work of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Next week, I'm gonna talk about that. And, and, and listen, next week is a really important sermon and kind of foundations of who we are as a church. So please try to attend. And if you don't attend, try to listen to it. I'm very enthusiastic about what we're building to next week. Uh, the kingdom of God was a metaphor and is a metaphor that's used a lot in the Bible, especially after Jesus came. It's really easy uh, for this metaphor to connect with people. Caesar was ruling the whole world and there was a Roman kingdom. And there in that time, they were, Jesus was saying, hey, there is a kingdom not of this world, the kingdom of God. Now, this is how I would say it today. We don't really relate to the word kingdom. The word I would like, I think that helps us most today is the word culture. The culture of God. Culture is the space between us. This church has a culture. Our city has a culture. The South has a culture. America has a culture. It's uh, the space between us. It's those unwritten rules of who we are as a people. And that is everything today. And see, when Jesus comes, he wants to bring not just the culture of America or the culture of your family or the culture of whatever group you identify with. He wants to bring the culture of God to our lives the kingdom of God, the culture of God. But we're gonna use the term kingdom because the scripture uses it, but I think that will help us. And here it is, Jesus sends out 70 and he says, listen, tell them that experience, in this case healing, is part of a sign for the kingdom of God. Part of the way we know that God is doing something and is spreading his word is there are experiences that take place. Going on to Acts chapter eight. Now this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven, meaning he went back to heaven, wherever heaven is. Um, and then the Holy Spirit was with us. And this is what happened. Acts chapter eight, verse six. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said. As they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame 
were healed. So we see right there in the book of Acts that even after Jesus had gone to heaven, that God is still moving. He's healing people. He's showing us signs. He's delivering people through his followers. So now we go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians, I told you that this was gonna be a lot of scripture today, but 1 Corinthians 12 was instructions to the local church. And there's a whole lot in 1 Corinthians about our relationship as people to the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to see this morning, that the Holy Spirit and his giftings are not just for the few, not just for the elite, not just for the pastor, but it's for every person. Every person has a capacity to be used by the Holy Spirit. That's really great news. That not only does that mean that the Holy Spirit can use someone else in your life, that means he can use you also. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with uh, verse seven, says this, a demonstration of the Spirit. How many know that's experiential, isn't it? Not just a teaching of the Spirit, but a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person. It doesn't say there, and I underlined those words for emphasis. It does not say, you know, the demonstration of the spirit is just giving to the elite or to the special or to the 12 and Paul. No, it's given to each person to produce what is beneficial. Let me just say one thing here before we go on with the text. For those of you who are interested in the Holy Spirit using you, it's really not about your gifting. It's about you benefiting the church. So, we are not intrinsically fulfilled by the gifts of the Spirit. That may happen as a consequence, but we don't seek out fulfillment through a manifestation of the Spirit. We bless the church through the manifestation of the Spirit. So if you're gifted in an area, God wants, you, God wants to use you to make the church stronger, to make the church have more peace, to make the church feel encouragement. So a demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And it goes on to list some possibilities. To one is given a message of wisdom. I happen to think that's a preaching gift through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages. But one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each one as he wills. Now, how many know there's a lot to talk about in that passage? Like we, I've actually taught multiple weeks on what we just read. And so maybe it stirs a lot of questions and interest in you, but here's the big broad picture, the broad brush that I want to paint here is that God uses all of his people. That's what I want you to hear. God uses all of his people who are willing that it's for all of us, his experience, the experiential work of God, the miraculous is for every Christian. When Paul was talking to the Galatians church, he's kind of trying to correct the problem and he just kind of casually said something uh, that lets us know that the experiential was a regular part of the church, the New Testament church. In Galatians chapter three, verse five, it says this. So then, does God supply you with the spirit? Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you by the work of the law? are by hearing with faith. The point of this for 
our message today is this, is that it was just, this was just a common statement. Like God is doing miraculous stuff among his people. It's just to be expected. It was just part of who the people were. So what's my point? The New Testament church experienced God. The New New Testament church was experiential. And so we should be open to that too. Last Saturday, me and my family participated in the Titans 5K. Posted a bunch of pictures on social media. And this was eight days ago. And so seven days ago, a lot of people around here were like congratulating me the next day, which I appreciate that. But I just want you to know, I didn't run the 5K. I walked it. So I don't know if... uh, Congratulations was really in order there. I have run 5Ks before, but this was kind of a family event. My 11-year-old son, he's not the athletic type. He's an artist, singer kind of guy. So this was kind of a big deal to him. So I I walked this with him and the whole family, and, and we're having a nice time, and it was warm. And we're going along, and Lincoln's kind of huffing and puffing a little bit and getting a little bit red in the face. And you know, he looked up and asked me the question kids ask, how much longer, dad? I looked at my, you know, little uh, mobile pedometer there. We're at 0.8 miles. I was like, oh, man, we are in trouble. We are in trouble here. So I said, but just keep, just keep going. We're, we're about to come to the mile mark, the, mi- the first mile marker. And we came to that first mile marker. And, and as you know, if you've participated in any race or any type of exercise or hiking, whatever, the first third's the hardest. I mean, just getting into it. So we get to that first mile marker. uh, And then the question is, he had heard this, when's the water break? That was the halfway point. So we knew we had a water break in front of us. So I'm encouraging, hey, come on, let's get over the bridge. We're gonna go around the corner and there's a water break there. And we, we got to the water station and got the cup and drank it and poured it on us and all that. And so we're feeling good. And then the way they designed the race, it was a downtown race. So they were wise to make the first third, the most boring part and at the halfway point, you get the water break. Then you're downtown, okay? So, so now it's getting better. You're downtown and you're seeing the big buildings and, and you're kind of enjoying the environment and the streets closed off. And so it's kind of encouraging. So, so Lincoln was a little encouraged there. Then these really nice people were standing at the street corner and they started cheering for us. No doubt they were paid by the race organizers, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, They still had matching t-shirts and they start cheering. And so that was encouraging to us too. Then the last mile, you could see the football stadium. I mean, you could see it. And that, that, that little stadium kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then even the last 10th of a mile, Lincoln and our family were on the field. The music was blaring and the finish line was there. So all along the way, there were these marking points that made the drudgery tolerable. And it kind of quickened our steps. And actually, for Lincoln, he walked faster at the end of the race than he did at the beginning. Isn't that something, how that can happen? But the mile markers and the water station and the nice people cheering you know, at, at the intersection and the big buildings and the stadium all marked us along our journey. This is, I think, a great analogy for our experiences with God. The Christian walk is about process. It's it's about daily devotion to God. It's about day by day, step by step. In fact, most of the New Testament is about relationship. You know, most of the New Testament is not about experience. I've never really 
analyze the percentage, but I, I've read the New Testament enough to, I'm gonna guess 20% or less is about experience. I'm gonna guess 80% more is about relationship, how we function as friends, how we function as, as spouses, how we function as a church body. That, that's what I'm going to hypothesize here. The point is this, simultaneously, most of our Christian walk is just about daily living trying to manifest Christ, trying to manifest his fruits, trying to have his character develop within us. But along the journey, we have different stations that are experiential. Here's our second point. Second point is this, we need God experiences. We simply do. We need God experiences. The Christian walk is laborious sometimes, and it's very daily, and the scripture is very clear on this. This is that, that we don't live on the mountaintop. We, we go from the mountaintop and spend most of our time in the valley. And there's other times in our lives when we're elevated and God gives us new perspective on the mountaintop. And he helps us to see where we've been and where we're going to go. But then we get back into the valley where the vegetation is, where the people are, where the fruit is. That's where we live. When you realize that, you need to understand that God uses experiences for a reason. And we need them. And when you understand you need a God experience, then you're open to them. Why do we need God experiences? There's a lot of different reasons. Let me just suggest a couple. It, it helps us serve. It helps us serve him. One of the reasons our health is a major concern for us is because a lack of physical health keeps us from serving God fully. Now, I know this is that none of us are immune from the natural aging process. And in fact, you know, we all will succumb to death unless Christ comes again. The Bible's very clear on that. The Bible even says that outwardly we're wasting away. And so I think we need to be realistic that the aging process is going to happen to us. Now, we, we don't want to contribute to speeding that thing up. We want to live healthy and do all we can. But Elisha performed more miracles in the Bible than anyone but Jesus. And the scripture lets us know he did die of a disease. So this, this is just a reality. I don't think any of us could just say, there's no way none of us are ever going to deal with sickness or we're never going to deal with disease. But I do know this, that God does heal. And he heals miraculously. And we should ask and ask in faith. And that's a complicated subject. We'll address it more next week when we look at the kingdom of God more closely. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter eight because one of the reasons I believe God heals us is so we could serve him more. Look at Matthew chapter eight, verse 14. When Jesus went into Peter's house, he, being Jesus, saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Is that not great? I mean, the touch of Jesus. How many know the touch of Jesus? The touch of his presence, sickness can leave. Sickness leaves when Jesus touches, touches us. But look at the rest of this verse. Then she got up and began to serve him. Isn't that a beautiful example of what healing can lead to? Now, healing is a form of grace. So I'm not trying to suggest here that, that 
somehow we have to earn our healing through works because healing is grace and it's God's sovereign will and it's God's plan for us. But I do want to suggest this. When we are praying for a healing, and I, and I think it would be great if you were, let, let's pray and let's, let's believe God for a healing. Let's believe, believe God that he can touch our backs and touch our anxiety and God can touch the fevers that we have and the, the different symptoms that we deal with. So the question is, why? And I want to ask you this question. What are you going to do with your healing? That might be a better question than, is God going to heal me or not? What are you going to do with your healing? Because does God want to heal you so you can just continue to be a jerk to your family? Is that God's will? Is God wanting to heal you so you can oppress the people you manage at work? Does God want to heal you so you can continue to be an extortionist or an abuser? I don't think so. God wants to heal you so you can serve Jesus. Isn't that a great thought? The great thought is this, God, if you're going to heal me, what's going to happen after my healing? Or what do you want me to do with my healing? Because we know this, that a lack of sleep, a lack of mobility, a lack of coherence, uh, these things distract ministry, guys. I'm not saying this to belittle you at all. I'm saying this out of compassion. I'm saying this out of compassion for you guys. We need the healing of the Lord. We need God to touch us physically. We need God to set us free of our infirmities. And he wants to do so with a great purpose in mind. And attaching that to kingdom work, that healing is the doorway to new ministry. Healing is the pathway to, uh, to something new in our life in a way that God can use us in a new way. And I just think that that thought process will add much depth to our prayers and will help us, help us serve him better. Another thing we need is courage. We, we live now in post-Christian America when culture, the American culture, is by and large hostile to the Christian worldview. It's, it's just the world we live in now. And we need courage. We need courage to stand up for the things of God. We need courage to stand up for God's principles. And can I just remind you of this, that your courage that you have today and your personality that you have and who you are today is not enough. By yourself, you can't stand up for Jesus as you need to. By myself, I cannot be the witness for Christ that he needs me to be because I'm limited in my strength. I'm limited in my courage. I'm limited in my abilities. That's why we need the Holy Spirit because with the Holy Spirit comes power to be his witness. With the Holy Spirit comes courage to stand up for the things of God. With the Holy Spirit comes clarity for the things of God and the word of God. And I want you to know something, that boldness for God has nothing to do with the volume of your voice. Boldness for God has everything to do with the intensity of his truth. It's how much you stand up for him in the right way, in the right spirit, in the right manner. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And that New Testament church that I referred to earlier was under great opposition at different times. They kind of weaved in and out of favor and opposition. Favor and opposition. That is favor with man and opposition with man. They always had the favor of God. Acts 4.29, they're praying and they said this. This is Acts chapter four, verse 21, 29. And now Lord, consider their threats and grant 
that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. Isn't that a great prayer? While you stretch out your hands for healing, signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is the experiential work of God was there so Christians would be bold, so Christians would have courage, so Christians would not shrink back and God would confirm the truth of his scripture and the truth of of sound doctrine through the manifestation of his power. This is what the the experiential aspect of God is all about. It's about his word being more clear, about his word being more uh, prominent in our lives. His word being more clear in the way we view the world and in the way we proclaim who he is. That's why we need the courage of God. That's why we need the power of God. And with the presence of God, with the presence of God comes the power of God, comes the clarity of God. You guys, for those of you who have raised children, you may remember how we really tricked our kids when they were little by giving them that nasty baby food. Oh my goodness, Those poor kids had to eat their veggies that were purated by Gerber. And so he's like, this is gonna be good. And you stuff the food in their mouth and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So this kind of suspicion kind of carries on into elementary school and even into early adolescence. And it's interesting that as children are being raised and this even happens to teenagers that they're always suspicious of food's parents want to share with them. Even when it's good food, even when it's expensive food, sometimes you want your kids to try new things so that they'll be more culturally rich, so that they can share an experience with you. And here it is, now that the child is rational or the teenager even is rational, you put something before them that's unfamiliar and there's just a bit of there's a bit of trepidation. Like, I don't want that. I'm thinking about, like, let's say something like uh, creme brulee. That, that's a very sophisticated dessert, isn't it? French dessert, pretty expensive on the menu. And it just, it looks kind of funny if you ever look at it. But guys, it's basically butter and sugar cooked. What could be wrong with that, right? I mean, what could be wrong with that? And yet here it is standing in front of our kids. And, and here's the interesting thing. At this point, our children rationally understand that my parents love me. My parents probably paid a sizable amount to either cook or purchase this dessert. They're trying to share an experience with me that will bless my taste buds, that will make me culturally more diverse person. But there's something within us that our independence, we still don't want to try the strange dessert. I think part of this is part of our our victimization from independence, from the fall. That even though, even though we know our parents love us, there's just something in us. It's like a sophisticated rebellion. Even though we, we reason, this is probably good for me. I don't want to try it anyway. Guys, this is another metaphor today of how often we are with God experiences. We know God loves us and we know God wants the best for us, but there's just something within us that just, we don't want to experience what he has for us. Here's the third point is this. We tend to resist God experiences. 
We tend to resist God experiences. Acts 13, the first service I read a really long passage. Let's just go to Acts 13 and 14. And we see here that the gospel, there's a pattern here that the gospel is spreading and both Jews and Gentiles are accepting the gospel. But with success comes criticism. And criticism came from the religious leaders of the day. This was a pattern through Jesus's ministry. It was a pattern through the church of Acts. And it's really an historical pattern too. That when God begins to move experientially with his people, often the religious leaders of the day resist. And, and I want you to be aware of this because I'm almost speaking to myself here, but I'm including you in my thoughts here. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a religious leader who criticizes the work of the Spirit instead of letting the Lord have his way. Now, I will judge things that are outside biblical definition. We don't, we don't ever support things we can't find in the Bible. That's our safety net. But if it's within the limits of the scripture, we need to have open hearts, even if it's things we're not, we're not used to. Verse X 13, verse 43, we see their success. 44, the whole town came out to hear the message. But look at verse 45 of Acts 13. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting them. This is a problem. The work of God is often ridiculed. The work of God is often made fun of. The work of God is often insulted because religious leaders get jealous of what the Spirit is doing among people that they may or may not be able to control. Further down in verse 48, we see the same pattern again. For the sake of time, I'm not reading every word. Verse 48, the Gentiles rejoiced in the Lord. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread. But look at verse 50 of Acts 13. But the Jews incited the prominent women who worship God and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. There again, the work of God's being opposed. The work of God is being uh, resisted. This is, a this is a tendency that we have that we need to be aware of so that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and we're searching the scriptures and we're making sure that we're on God's side. I don't know about you, but as an individual, I wanna be on God's side. As a pastor, I wanna be on God's side. As a church, I wanna be on God's side. And sometimes we have to really work and we have to have the intellectual discipline to seek out the scripture. And we have to have open hearts to seek the Lord. And we don't need to be so quick to make judgments of things we don't understand until we have searched out the truth that God reveals. And when we do that, then we're in a great place for God to do his work. Here's the last thing I wanna to talk to you about before, before we conclude this service. I wanna to talk to you uh, about our nation right now and where our nation is culturally. I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and I wanna give you my opinion on a couple of things. I wanna be very clear. I don't believe what I'm telling you is, is prophetic, but I, I think it is a opinion that has been guided through much thought and much prayer. 
Um, things are not going well for us culturally. It's not going well for America in this post-Christian era. And it's very quick to have a doomsday perspective. And that very well may be the case that the judgment of God is going to come to our nation. But I don't think, in my opinion, that uh, we are guaranteed some kind of apocalyptic event that, that is going to necessarily destroy us as a people. I mean, I guess it's possible, but I don't, I don't think that, it, that, I don't think that it's necessarily going to happen because of our current situation. Because over the last 235 years, uh, we as a people have done a lot of things that have deserved God's judgment and that have brought God's judgment. We enslaved a whole race of people in a civil war in which we lost 850,000 citizens was a judgment from God. Uh, we stole from the Native Americans and broke treaties with them. The Japanese Americans, that we imprisoned them unjustly in World War II. The list goes on and on and on. Our nation has a great, great history of being a leader of freedom for the world, uh, of being one of the greatest social, the greatest social experiment of mankind. And simultaneously, we have sinned over and over and over again, and we're still sinning today. And the judgment of God will come upon our nation, but we just don't know how it'll come. And I just say, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. And I have reason to believe historically, historically that um, th there's not gonna be a catastrophic event that's gonna end everything. But I'm gonna tell you what's happening and it's a lot more dangerous than some big event. A lot more dangerous. And it's this. It's a very slow, gradual moral decay. I'm going to tell you, this is much more dangerous than a natural, some kind of natural event that we would attach to God's judgment or some type of historical event. A much more dangerous happening is the slow erosion of our moral values. And so I think my opinion is that over the next 10 years, life's going to go on. We're still going to have baseball and we're still going to eat watermelons in the summer and we're still going to have Turkey in November and there's going to be joy and there's going to be cultural events. And uh, even though there are going to be some things that are disruptive and disagreeable with us, Life's gonna go on, and this is where the danger is. Values will continue to gradually erode. So here, here's what I'm asking you to do, and I want you all to look at me on this part. This is where I'm asking you to look, right here. Right here at your heart. I, I'm a culturally aware person. I read, I read a significant amount, know what's happening, uh, you know, as much as, much as time allows me to. And we need to be sons of Issachar, if you know that scripture, aware of our times. But here's the danger, that we are judging cultural sin more harshly than we're judging our own sin. And we're not seeing the gradual decay of our hearts. It's most probable that life's gonna go on. And life 10 years from now and 20 years from now will have more similarities than differences. But during that time period, God's people... We must be vigilant to keep our hearts set on the things of God, to keep our hearts centered, to not 
erode our personal values just like cultural values are eroding. But here's the exciting part. It's easy. It's easy to just um, slip into a, a mindset of, of, I guess, total discouragement. To think things are going to be so bad that they'll never improve again. But we have great opportunity. Because guys, when the darkness is greater, that means the light shines brighter. You know, there is going to be more of a contrast than ever before between who is God's people and who is not. And what that does is that points people to the true light, the light that's Jesus Christ. Our light will become brighter. His holiness will be more appealing. The ways of God will be more attractive. The things of God will be something to uphold and value and treasure. The things of the Lord will be something special and unique, not just something that we use for social advantage. It's something that we use so our hearts are aligned with God. Here's my last point, and it's this. We are on the threshold of new God experiences. That's what I want you to see. Come on, Beth. I want you to see that we're on the threshold. What's threshold? That means we're on the doorway of things we've never seen before, things we've never experienced before, a, a, a sense of God's presence that we've never known before. And you might say, well, what does that mean? What's that going to be? Well, I don't know because it's new. But I know this is that God's character hasn't changed and who he, his word hasn't changed. And he said that if my people draw near to me, then I'll be near to them. God said, if my people turn from their sins, then he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. And then I love this scripture. This is becoming, this scripture comes up often in my preaching these days. Acts 3.19 says this, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped away. I, 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 that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's that experiential work of God. How I many know we need more of the refreshing of the Lord? We need more of the experience of the Lord. Seasons of refreshing. That means there are certain times when the presence of God is, is we're more aware of it in our life than others. And it's in those times we need to treasure those times. And we need to just soak up all of God. And he's gonna send more and more of those seasons to us as we walk in repentance and walk in holiness and turn from our sins. And let me tell you something, the refreshing that comes from God does not come from a church, does not come from a man, does not come from a certain style of music. The refreshing comes only from one place and that's the presence of God. That's the only place. The refreshing of God doesn't come through legislation. It doesn't come who we pick as president. The refreshing of God comes from the presence of God. That's why we need God experiences. You guys stand with me. Can you stand with me? You listened good today. I preached long and you listened hard. That's a good combination. Maybe not the long part, but how about that? I preached hard and you listened hard. And here's the thing though, that I want us to respond to the Lord today. If you're visiting with us and you're not used to our custom, we're gonna have communion open and I won't give further instructions on that. If you wanna take communion, you're free to, but don't feel obligated, guys. This is just a tool here for you. Um, here at the front, we have some steps. They were built to help us get on the stage, but they also can symbolize an altar. Some of you in your faith tradition, an altar has been important because an altar has been a place where you have physically uh, laid down yourself to the Lord. And I just, I just want you to uh, know that the altar is available and uh, communion's available. And I, I wanna encourage you to pray for one another if you'd like to do that. I'm gonna come in just a few minutes and dismiss us, but Beth's gonna lead us in a song. And it's a song that's real popular on Christian radio right now. 
And I'm so excited about this song. It's been popular for a few months because I don't even think people understand the power of what they're singing. But I think it's a prophetic call to the church. The words say this, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place, come fill the atmosphere. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And, and, and I just think God's gonna hear, even if we don't even know what we're asking for, that there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. There's nothing like the touch of the Lord. There's nothing like the Holy Spirit. And as we just respond to this message today, and I just pray that you would respond in some way, you'd have a reflective moment uh, that, that we're going to ask as a people. Listen, we're gonna ask as a people that are together. We're, I'm preaching basically to believers today. That as believers, we're going to say, Holy Spirit, come. I mean, come to us. Come to this church. Uh, come to Hendersonville. Come to Gallatin. Holy Spirit, come to America. And then start it right here. Start it with me. Start it with me. Let's respond to the Lord. I'll dismiss service in just a few minutes, but let's now respond as Beth leads us in the song. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.